Welcome back to uh, Jay's Speak. I'm Jay, and today we're just speaking about something that will be very relevant to probably a niche of my current audience and probably to some new people. We have uh, VP uh, with us to explain uh, sort of his background and why he's got some credibility talking about getting residency in other places. Maybe Westerners feel the pressure right now to to look outside of the US. And I think this is kind of happening. People are are seeing, and we'll talk about the reasons, you know, maybe one of the reasons could be seeing pressures financially, wages that just are not supporting where they live, but they could actually work from anywhere in the world. So, you know, there's kind of some trade-offs that are available. And um, with that, why don't I introduce uh, VP? VP, what it has kind of brought you to, I guess this stage where you're now able to talk on podcasts about getting residency in other locations. And then we can kind of get into the first uh, talking point around how much people might need. So we'll get that out of the way first for people. Um, but yeah, man, welcome back, by the way. Uh, VP has been on the channel several times and it's always good to have you, my friend. Oh, thanks. Good to be back back talking to you face to face like this or as, as close as we can do to that. Um, so, yeah, uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I have a Forex channel and I have an investing podcast. And one of the episodes there was um, simply just to live somewhere else and how you can leverage that. Um, and it was a really popular episode, inspired a lot of people to actually take action. So uh, it's and that's really the last time I talked about it, oddly enough. But uh, we're, we're talking about it now. And I think it's. Um, I think it's a really appropriate time to do so because for the first time in most people's life, you know, in Western countries, you know, not just the United States, but in Canada, Europe, Australia, places like that, it's uh, it's changed, um, not only from maybe a social standpoint, but uh, definitely from a financial standpoint. You know, most people live on very thin margins. So if the cost of anything goes up, you know, it becomes a problem and costs are going up everywhere. And um the the way I've always thought about it is, you know, for most people, you know, most, most people are trying so hard right now just to make like an extra $500, you know, even just something like that could take a huge financial burden off of their shoulders. And so they're looking for all these ways to do it when a really easy way to do it. And I say easy because it's so much easier than people think it is, is to simply relocate and maybe start a residency somewhere else. Because you will you will easily, at the very least, save $500, which is the exact same as making $500. It's just an entry on a different accounting column. <laughs> it's all it is. I live in Latin America, and I currently save thousands every month. So in other words, I'm pretty much making extra thousands just by being in a place that I personally like better. And a lot of people, once they actually make that move, end up liking better too. Um, I mean, the cost of cost of food is much cheaper. Cost of housing is much cheaper. Um, really, the only thing that's about the same are things like clothing and electronics. But those aren't things that we buy a whole lot. All the stuff we do buy a lot of is cheaper here. Transportation is cheap. I don't need a car. You know, I can take a two or three dollar Uber pretty much anywhere I want. You know, so when you do the math there, I'm spending like 70, 80 bucks a month on transportation, compare that to a car with gas and repairs and payments and stuff like that. And, um, and not to mention the tax implications, you know, 
it's, it's not about what you make, it's about what you keep. And I keep a lot more percentage wise than I did before, simply by doing just a few, you know, obligatory things early. I have now set myself up for the rest of my life to not pay nearly as much in taxes as I was paying before. So there's just so many different facets. You know, I think most people are just kind of scared to do it. And we'll talk about why later on. But uh, this, this is one of, if not the best moves I've ever made. Dude, so like, <clears throat> what do you think is that uh, final push? Because I've been thinking about this more. It, you know, isn't a, I wouldn't say that it's just like a late process, but I feel like it's like anything else. Once you start doing a little bit more research, you kind of see how you can do it. And then it's about the decision to do it. What do you think the startup costs um, besides that? Maybe, you know, it's interesting how you, you can look at the balance sheet that way. How much money you're saving is actually increasing your income, which is so true. It's just like a mind trick that for some reason we don't always do. Uh, <clears throat> how much is the startup cost for your average Westerner to get from, let's say, where where is one of the places that you kind of locate yourself and how do you how do you how long do you stay there is is my question and you don't need to give us your exact you know locations but just to give us kind of like the lifestyle do you move on a monthly basis on a bi-monthly basis on a quarterly basis and do you switch up your location a lot to keep it fresh is there new locations you're trying is there kind of this citizenship uh particularly like to get into you know a space like latin america and stay there that's important to have and then from there you can kind of go wherever you want those are the the brimming questions from somebody who's looking at this process and thinking okay okay these are the things i'd like to kind of visualize to see how it would actually work by moving yeah and you the answer is yes to all those questions. You can play it any way you want. I mean, for, for a long time, I was super nomadic and I was just going everywhere because I was looking for a place that really kind of checked off all the boxes if I was going to stay there for any meaningful amount of time. You know, you can, you know, the shortest lease on an apartment usually is about six months, uh, but the average is about 12. And for a guy who moves around as much as I do, you know, that that's a big commitment for me, you know, because I just, I love being nomadic and moving around. But at the same time, I was like, all right, I need to base out of somewhere. So for what it's worth, I'm currently in Mexico, um, but I've been, I've spent meaningful time in probably four Latin American countries. I've been to about eight or nine. So, um, so let's just go over them because every situation is going to be different. Okay. Yeah, that sounds that sounds great. And I just swapped out my uh, PFP as well. So sometimes I'll throw the camera on, but I'll I'll throw it back just so we can get into the podcast relaxing vibe, because this next part of the show is going to, I think, give people not only a roadmap, but something tangible, because you hear people say these things and how easy they are, but you don't always have somebody living it. So yeah, let's definitely go into that VP. Okay. So actually like the, what you have to do part, I'll kind of save more towards the end because, you know, it depends on where you're going and what you're trying to accomplish and things like that. Um, but let me just kind of give an overview of some of the countries that I actually feel like I can speak on. And, uh, and then we'll go from there. 
So uh, the ones that I've spent, you know, more than a couple months in would be countries like Nicaragua, Colombia, Panama, Mexico. Um, I would say let's just uh, let's just right off the bat avoid Nicaragua. Um, it's beautiful. It's very poor, uh, but it's a it's it's kind of like an advanced level travel. You know, if you're going to Latin America for the first time, not including going to a beach resort, you're not going to want to do Nicaragua first. It's just it, it's too much. Um, cool to visit, but I probably wouldn't live there, especially my first time through. Uh, a couple countries also that I haven't spent a lot of time in, but I think are on some people's minds. I want to kind of dispel those myths right away too. Uh, El Salvador for the Bitcoin bros. Uh, I've been there. And uh, quick story, I was in San Salvador, the capital. I was meeting a buddy of mine who was in El Zante, which is the area about you know 90 minutes away on the beach where Bitcoin city was supposed to be. And he comes back, we go out to dinner and he says, okay, a couple things. One, El Zante, is, there's nothing going on down there. Nothing's being built. And they're not even probably going to even have Bitcoin City there. They're going to move it more up the coast by the volcanoes where they can do the mining and stuff like that. So we're not even in the nascent stages of Bitcoin City yet. And uh, he also, also that week, there was a massacre in El Salvador where a bunch of tourists got killed as collateral damage. Oh and that God. was the that was the day. If you follow uh, Nayib Bukele on Twitter, he's the president of El Salvador. That was the day where he just snapped and he went out and he rounded up every member of MS-13 and threw them in like one jail cell on top of each other and, and pretty much eradicated the problem in a matter of months. That day where that trigger point happened, I was actually there. So I didn't go down to the beach myself. I, I wanted to just to go see it. But my buddy said there's nothing down there. So um yeah, maybe consider going down there in three, four, five years, but it's just there's really no reason to go there right now. And um, and understand that you're going to be in a place where it's probably 95% dudes. So factor that in too. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that's yeah. important for some of the people listening, I'm sure, that are, you know, young studs just, uh, you know, also trying to find the social atmosphere that they, uh, they want to they want to be in yeah and let and, and believe me latin america is great for that but not bitcoin city to where the five percent female are probably going to be somebody else's significant other so that's i I, can't, I couldn't imagine uh costa rica is another one i want to mention a lot of people have costa rica on the mind costa rica was kind of like the the thing to do 25 years ago and it's just not really the place now it's not as easy <laughs> it's not as um cheap it's very slow, which is it's going to be too slow for a lot of people. But I just usually, I, th I just think there's better options right now. Um, now, Colombia is interesting. Colombia, you can be in the cities, up in coffee country, and you can get any kind of weather you want. If you want that eternal spring, go to Bogota. If you want hotter tropical weather, you go to Cali. If you want something right in the middle, you go to Medellin. Uh, and they got a bunch of beach cities too. They're all just a lot uh, hotter, that more tropical weather, where some people like and some people don't, but just know what you're getting there. And the cool thing about Colombia is their currency is falling apart. So you know, if you earn United States dollars and you spend in a Latin American currency, you're already going to do well, but you're just going to do extra well, especially some of these South American countries that just their currency just keeps getting worse and worse. Things just end up getting cheaper and cheaper for you, and it just keeps getting better and better. You can certainly do that in Colombia, too. So that's interesting. Um, Panama is a very easy transition because Panama City is very American. 
It has, uh, you know, we sold the canal to them back in 99, but they still have really close ties with us. And, you know, it has all the skyscrapers and stuff like that. It's a very easy place. They use the dollar. Um, the one issue you're going to have there is it's the only country, especially in the city, that you're not going to get any kind of advantage financially by living in. The cost of living there is pretty much the exact same as it is in most U.S. and Canadian cities. So kind of a bummer, but a really nice place. I spent some good time there. I love Panama. Um, you're just not you're not going to live like a king there like you will in other places. And, uh, and then finally, there's Mexico, which has everything. It's a very developed economy. Um, there's a lot of news that comes over the wire that scares Westerners from coming over here. I would say just don't move to a border town like an idiot, and, and you're going to be fine. There's It's a really big country. Once you get past the border and past the desert, it's amazing. Um, but just most people don't take the time to to go that far with it. Um, and it just, and the peso actually got a little bit stronger against the dollar this year is one of the few currencies to do that, but still it, everything is cheaper here. Just make sure you're earning dollars. You do not want to earn your money in a Latin American currency. Keep earning dollars or Canadian dollars or pounds or euros. And, uh, and you're going to do just fine down here, but, um, we'll get a little more into Mexico in a moment. So it sounds like <clears throat> just to bring it back, we have Colombia. We have Mexico, and those seem to have the least trade-offs, in my opinion, because Panama, one of the biggest compelling factors, especially for people that make their money online, is you can live in places that are cheaper. <laughs> so I feel like Panama, it's so, it sounds so awesome, and uh, I've seen some amazing just like just like things that you can do there. And, and it looks like an incredible place to live, but that, uh, yeah, that cost, the cost of living there and just like it, you could basically move to other places too, and probably feel comfortable enough to, you know, to, to stay where you are if you're in that position. But do you think that, um, this sometimes the decision to move to another country is a move based in need, like somebody needs to, you know, maybe move somewhere where they can evolve, be their own person or um, sort of, you know, do more with their capital without like with investing, with buying things for themselves and not have to waste it just because of where they live. Do you think that there's like a necessity level to it? Or do you think it's kind of, you know, more so a desire of people that are, are in this spot. Like, what do you, what do you think is the, the real factor that makes people do this BB? I think it's more desire. Um, if it's necessity, you know, if you're running away from something to come here, I've met expats like that. And they're generally not people you want to hang out with. You know, they're usually degenerates and they're running away from a bad marriage or a, a lawsuit or something. You know, I've, I've met those people. <laughs> And no, I, I'm sure that exists. That's why I wanted to put it up. But yeah, it does. that's that's interesting that you said desire, though. I didn't expect that. But maybe that there's something uh, healthy in that lesson. I, I, yeah. No, for, for sure. If you're running away from something, you know, that's usually not good. But if you're running towards something, you know, like I did and like a lot of people I've ran into you know, have also done, that's a lot better because, yeah, let, let's just talk. Let's go back to that $500. If you had an extra $500, what could you do? with that. You know, you could save it if you don't have a lot of savings. You could buy crypto with it. 
Um, and or what a lot of people do, and you know, if, if you come down here, understand that even if you make a, an average salary in the United States, you are going to be rich everywhere not named Panama. So with that extra money, you can live a rich life. You can have somebody, you know, because everything's so cheap out here. You can have somebody come in and cook for you three times a week or five times a week. You can have a personal trainer. You can, you know, you can do all of these things that might be really, you know, financially straining to do back home. You know, you get all that here, you know, and there, I mean, there's just, so, and there's so many other advantages beyond that, right? You know, you get really great weather and there's all sorts of different climates, in Latin America, you can kind of pick the one you like the best. You know, if you like the mountains, if you like the beach, you know, if you like big cities, if you like uh, tropical hot weather, if you like cooler weather, it's all here. Uh, I mean, the skiing probably sucks. You know, I haven't been down to Chile or Argentina, and I think they have it down there. But that, that would probably be the one thing you would have to bypass. Like, literally, you're not lacking for anything else. Um, you know, the, if, you're, if you're single, a man or a woman, the dating is great down here. You know, they have... They've kind of ruined young people in a lot of Western countries to where, you know, as somebody who's in their 40s, I've seen what it was like when I was in my 20s to when people are in their 20s now, and I really feel for them. It's not as great as it was before, but it, <laughs> it, but it is in Latin America. It's kind of a throwback, you know, and uh, and that's wow. really, yeah, it is. That's really great. You know, the people are all super nice. I haven't been to one country where people are just generally, you know, standoffish or rude or anything like that. And um and you got the network I have made out here just from expats and locals. Almost what's any. A, what's an almost, expat? By the way, sorry. What's an expat? Uh, expatriate. So somebody who uh, lived in one country but now lives in another. Gotcha. So they, yeah. So that maybe there's some sort of um, what's the word when you seek like asylum from a country? Like there's something that pushed them out that they can't return. And it's not always illegal, but sometimes it's just, you know, that move. Is that what you mean? Or is it more of just anybody that lived in a country but wanted to move to a place where they could get more for less and, and experience maybe a different culture? It applies to everybody. Um, but yeah, I, I have met a few people that um, got into some tax troubles. Didn't see, it, it, not really through any fault of their own, kind of their own ignorance, really. Um, but sure. you know, I've heard some people say, yeah, I can't go back to Australia ever. <laughs> so that's just how it is. You meet a whole bunch of really interesting people out here and it creates this amazing network. You know, through my financial channel, I've, I've made a great network that way, but I've also made it just a, an incredible network just by not only moving abroad, but meeting other people who have and getting on other forums of people who have done the same thing to where really now, and I've gotten to know these people so well, I can go to almost any major city in Latin America and I'll have somebody there who I can hang out with. You can show me around or tell me where to go. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's the corniest thing ever. Your network is your net worth. I've heard it a million times, but it's so true. You know, when I was waiting tables in Las Vegas for 15 years, I had a very small network that was kind of useful for where it was, but it was useless everywhere else, literally. <laughs> now my network's amazing. And so just almost that alone, you know, the whole experience has been worth it. Um, but yeah, there's, there's just, there's so many advantages, not just monetarily, but certainly monetarily. That really does make a big difference on your quality of life uh, when it's all said and done. It's funny too, because you've now done what um, basically, <laughs> if you've ever read the book, uh, how to influence 
uh, people and make friends by um, Dale Carnegie or how to win friends and influence people. He talks about this concept of like, what do we really want? And you just kind of dangled it in front of us, which is there is a conscious decision that some of us are making who are exploring getting residency where we simply are not getting the life that, you know, we would actually want if we had maybe more uh, wealth, maybe, you know, in, in a higher costing city. But you know, we're suffering through it, we're grinding through it, trying to just climb up and make enough to, you know, make a luxurious life out of a much more luxurious place, potentially, maybe not even more luxurious, maybe just cost more. But here's the thing, the interesting part is what we're going to be talking about next with VP is how do you actually, you know, go through those steps and get there. It's it's fun, though, to dangle that in front of us, because there is a reality that we can all choose to just move and probably have a much better quality of life, probably save a lot more capital. And I think it applies, in my opinion, VP, I don't know if you find this to be true, but to my like, I'm 24, you know, so I'm Gen Z, I think it applies to this generation of 20 year olds, um, quite a lot, because there's you know, so many entrepreneurs now and so many people making money online that are just stuck in this rut. So yeah, man, it's, it's really, I, I wanted to get there. I wanted you to kind of dangle in front of us. Okay. There's actually something better that we can get right now. If we actually just put in the work and figure out, you know, the right place to go and get familiar with maybe that situation and how we bring our life to it. For sure. Yeah. It's uh everything's changed. You're right. You know, your generation can't buy a house at all. Like if you do, you're going to be in financial, <laughs> financial ruin forever, you know, and who, and who wants that? So, uh, and I think it's every, especially men, you know, and, and younger men too, you know, in, in Western countries, especially United States, you know, where we have that, you know, go after it attitude, we want to become something. And, um, and, Nobody ever becomes anything hardly in their 20s. That's really, really hard to do. It usually takes much longer than that, but people still want it, right? Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's just as simple as doing what you're doing now. And with remote work, this has opened so many doors. And that's why so many people are coming down here now. Um, that all it takes is you taking yourself out of an environment where it will never happen and putting yourself in an environment which where it will probably start happening for you on day one, because just by proxy, you're like top 5% of all income earners from the moment you hit the ground, uh, which is tremendous. You know, like I said, you feel like a king all the time. You, you almost get like a, an inferiority complex or what was it, an imposter syndrome to where you're like, oh man, I don't, you know, I just, I just want to kind of blend in with the locals here. I don't want to really, you know, be the man and you can do that too. You know, I blend in, you know, I don't wear any fancy stuff. I guess I could, um, but I don't know, pro probably not the best idea if everybody else is just kind of making it, you know, there's, there's a really big middle class in most of Latin America and the middle, their definition of middle class is not the same as ours really, as far as how much they make, because the middle class doesn't make a whole lot here. But they're all happy and they all work and they all contribute. You know, you don't have this crazy divide, you know, like you do in Western countries. So it's, you don't even need to flex out here to really fit in and be happy because everybody around you is pretty much having a much better life than we do back in, you know, the States or Canada or Europe or someplace like that. Um, but making far less money. And you're like, wow, how awesome is this? Like I can not even spend a whole lot of money, have an amazing time 
and still just save, save, invest, invest, invest on the side. That's kind of what I've chosen to do. Um, and yeah, it's um, like I had a decent amount of money before I moved down here. But then again, I'm in my 40s. You know, I've done a lot. You know, I have a big YouTube channel and stuff like that. For your average person, the change from point A to point B is going to be noticeable right away and uh, in a really, really good way, too. Yeah, no, that's that's why it's funny, because just for my audience, I'm actually going through this journey of thinking, OK, where where do I want? I'm in a position in my life where I can go somewhere, I can move somewhere. And I'm like thinking, OK, where do I want to go? Because if I, you know, move, if I move into a place um, like Boston again, for instance, it's so high. It's such a high cost of living that, you know, as uh the as my YouTube channel expands, it's kind of like I don't want to put myself in a position where I have to make sacrifices on, you know, trying to sell people to sponsor the channel and then bring those sponsors in to sell them to my audience if I'm not believing in them. So it's like, okay, is there a way for me to improve the quality of my content and also move somewhere that could potentially be a lot cheaper? So I can still participate in investing which is something i like to cover but also make up for you know the uh, you know the the potential trade off of being a a solo entrepreneur who's who's really trying to make his channel better and i think that environment would be perfect and that's where talking to you was the first real step i think for me in my journey um on this podcast because when i want to learn something i just interview somebody about it and I think for people that are listening, you know, it's it's bringing that to you that, you know, I was hoping to do, but obviously there's going to be some sources that BP will cite on where to take your research from here. However, I think there is a pretty good outline if we're talking about Mexico, Colombia, um, pretty much any of those countries that you mentioned, but those two seem to be the ones that I'm interested in personally. <clears throat> you lay out advantages, barriers, Mexican residency. One thing I was going to ask was like, what's the banking like? Okay, so that, I guess that's a good transition into some of the uh, the barriers because everybody has apprehensions about making a move like this. Um, for one, they think it's a bigger move than it actually is. Like, if you don't like it, you can always go back. You know, like you're not you're not stuck anywhere. <laughs> you know, if if you're unhappy with it or if it just doesn't feel right, you know, well then you can say and if you've actually really tried to do it and spend some time, you can say, okay, I've done it. It wasn't for me, and then you go back. Um, but what you're going back to is usually a place like the United States where people compared to the rest of the world make a lot of money, but they never have a lot of money. And that's the worst combination ever because you're working really hard to have barely enough money to get by. And as a result, most people aren't very happy. And you don't realize this until you come to other countries, especially in Latin America, where everybody's just having a freaking ball. And then you come back and it's just like... You ever walk into a CVS or a Walgreens and just look at those people <laughs> that are in there? It's a nightmare, you know, and it's it's such a Western, it's such a Western specific thing, especially in the United States. I notice it every time now. I didn't before because I was just a part of that life. And now you notice it. But uh, you, you mentioned banking. So a lot of, again, a lot of people have, there's people out there that just create reasons not to do stuff all the time because they're scared to death and they, they don't want to admit it. You know, I'm not going to talk to those people. You know, there's there's no reason to. No matter what you say, they're going to find a reason not to not to make a move, and they're just going to stay and live and die in one place their entire life. And that's you know that that's their choice. But um, I think there's reasons why you don't see everybody 
moving down here. And I think a lot of those reasons are very overblown. Um, let's start with the the main one, and that's safety. You know, if you don't feel safe, then it doesn't really matter what else you do. And I was saying there's all this stuff coming around about, you know, cartel violence and stuff like that. So understand this, the cartel has more money than God. All right. They don't need your $1,500, you know, to steal, to kidnap you and steal and extort you. That's that, that happened a long time ago. That doesn't happen anymore. They kind of realized, okay, we can also invest in legit businesses and become like popular members of the community instead of having everybody hate us. And we can make a lot more money that way and not get a bunch of our guys killed in the process. So that's exactly what they do. I lived in a very, I guess, cartel ran city for, it was, it was a beach town for about two months. And they own like all the sick hotels and resorts and clubs down there. And they're all amazing. Like if it's, if, if I know it's cartel owned and ran, I actually want to go there because I know it's going to be great. And as a tourist, nobody's going to mess with me because that's bad for business. If they mess with me, then they might not be around anymore. So like, we're almost like protected now as opposed to endangered, like we might've been 15, 20 years ago, the whole landscape has completely changed. Um, and in most cities, there's not even really much of a presence there. So you don't. Did I, did I interject there? Because I've been learning a little bit more about the cartels. And uh, <laughs> I think you're right. But I think there was one question I did want to ask while you're here. If a city is protected by a cartel, because from what I understand, there's like three different types of cartels now. There's like a newer type that's much more aggressive. There's like one more that is like the kind that you're speaking of, which, is, you know, basically um uh you know takes care of the city and then there's you know an older type a more vintage like 1980s cartel that's left behind from the remnants of um some of the more popular uh figures that led these things back then uh are you saying that like if a city is protected by a cartel it almost mitigates the chance that another cartel would come in and like screw things up it's not because they don't shit where they eat. Let's put it that way. So, uh, for example, uh, the city I was talking about was Mazatlan. And it's um, it had a, as soon as they arrested El Chapo's kid, there's a little bit of tension over there. Like they blocked the airports off for a couple of days. And then it just kind of went away. Most of the time, when you have cities like that, that's not where like the actual fighting goes down i think what was going on there was just uh something between the actual uh the federales and the cartels themselves very few people got swept up in that there's just some people that had to miss their like flights and that was the worst thing that happened most of the fighting goes down in either their headquarters so the sinaloa cartel has their headquarters in culiacan not mazatlan culiacan's a city you would never ever have any need to go to and if anything goes down it either goes there or it goes down on the border which is where all the drug trafficking routes are. And that's what people are actually fighting for. Now there is the, um, the big cartel now is Jalisco new generation. Those are made from like the Sicarios of El Chapo from long ago. And um, yeah, they're naturally more violent, but they're violent on the border. Again, they've kind of learned it's really in your best interest not to just be crazy and start shooting a bunch of citizens and local cops and stuff like that. There's a lot more advantage to just kind of leaving that alone and only fighting the battles you need to fight. And that's what's really going on. It's it's so far away from most Mexican cities that you don't even realize it's there. Um, and for safety reasons too, Jay, like 
I am from a pretty dangerous city in the United States. You know, I've been stabbed. I've been, haven't been shot, but I've been shot at, you know, so I naturally have my guard up on things. And I just, I I've understand. Stabbings. I've, I've, I've been, I've been very, very close to those in the U S so I've definitely, uh, I've, I've, uh, there was one time, but I definitely agree with that assessment. It's not like we're trading off safety for unsafety. It's like, we could be trading off unsafety for maybe even partially safer. Um, I no, you're, dude, yeah. you're absolutely, you are absolutely upgrading. I have in Latin America, I've I only had, it. I've only had to have my guard up one time and it was in Colombia and it was in a place to, you know, it, it's a long story, but it was supposed to be a good place. It, it changed and I didn't realize it. <laughs> and so I, I purposely like went to a bad place. And uh, that was the only time where I had my, that guard actually had to come back up. I have been in some of the poorest areas in a lot of these cities and didn't even feel in danger one time. Like I would walk around with headphones on, which you're absolutely not supposed to do just because I, I, I know nothing is going to happen to me. It's crazy. People think it's going to be different because it's, you know, everybody's a lot more poor. Totally not the case. Everybody's chill. Nobody starts shit with you. Nobody looks at you funny. Everybody's way nicer dressed than they are back home. You know, you don't see people wearing like tearaway pants and cut off shirts and stuff like that. That's, it doesn't happen, like especially in the cities, you know, people take pride in themselves and they want you to enjoy their city. So the last thing they're going to do is, is screw with you. It's uh, th the safety trade-off is only to the upside. Like I said, unless you're stupid and you go to the border or someplace where, you know, it's obviously not safe. So dude, yeah. Dude, this is so funny, man, VP, because I almost want to, do you mind if I just ask you a quick kind of question and maybe we leave it in there um if it leads to something good and then we'll swap back if there was a place that was trying to destabilize the u.s wouldn't they target latin america first since we're it's our biggest trade partner or do you just not see that happening because um i honestly am just exploring that with curiosity and i don't think it would happen anytime soon but I could see that like a, it may be playing out as like a long-term strategy. If there was like a foreign country that was like, okay, these guys are way too strong since they're kind of independent with, you know, everything South of America. Could that kind of uh strategy be perceived as practical? Or do you think that there's reasons why that would never happen? Sorry to I, think that I think that strategy is pretty far out there. I mean, you know, North and South America alone are very hard to attack because of the oceans. Uh, but if, if you're going to waste your resources on anything, I would just, you know, if I had a beef with the United States, I would just attack them. I mean, especially think from like a nuke standpoint, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to go full bore and expend a nuke, um, you're not going to waste it on, you know, you know, Peru <laughs> just because we trade or Mexico, because we trade with them, you know, yeah. Yeah. So I really feel like if, if that were to really pop off, that I would be really safe not being in the United States or someplace like Canada, where that's where they would fire the missiles over. Let's say if it was Russia, for example, it's got to go over Canada to land in the United States because that's how they would shoot it over the top like that. Um, so I have thought about stuff like that. But no, I think that the absolute opposite, I think you're very insulated from any kind of skirmish that uh, the U.S. for sure could get themselves into. Um and, the, and it's yeah. kind of like a place that's also like, it's a special interest to the US. So there's kind of like a factor of, okay, if someone does mess with Latin America, 
And <laughs> the U.S. is kind of like, hey, man, like back off a little bit too, right? It's kind of like they're protecting that area to their to their needs, if you will. Oh, for sure. If you're Canadian or Mexican, you have the best of everything because nobody's ever going to mess with you. Um, but if they ever did, they wouldn't mess with you. <laughs> you know, you know, you're not you're not the one that starts fights. And on top of that, if you if you look at trading partners for most countries in Central and South America, their number one partner is not the United States. It's probably China at this point. So a country like that's not going to want to mess with their own trading partners either. You know, oh, it's a, really? So yeah, the, the, the world the world has changed. Yeah, you, you so see Latin some of these America, maps. What so the are we just talking about Latin America abroad? Is is their biggest trading partners probably China? Or yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah. If you look at a map from 20 years ago, uh, most uh, if you just go south of the border from Mexico all the way down to Argentina, most of those countries, their biggest trading partner was the United States. And that map has flipped red for just about every country on there now. Wow. Okay. Okay. We can get back into it. So safety is kind of squashed in that sort of monologue slash dialogue we just had. Now, some of the other factors, when people move, they may have medications, right? They may have, um, I don't know, I think of things like prescription glasses, contact lens, orders that they can make online. So like, how's the, like the shipment of over-the-counter medicine and how's like the, you know, ability? It was funny, I was asking uh, my doctor about this the other day and I was like, so if I wanted to move, how does it work? And they kind of gave me this answer that was very uh, kind of unassuring, but also kind of optimistic. I think they said that it depends on who's on the other side, because if you find somebody that's willing to fill a prescription, let's say, then we would just need to give them all your files. So you would just need to let us know who that is. And if they're cool about it, they'll just accept our diagnosis of whatever prescriptions you need, right? And essentially, they also added a little detail there of like, if they don't accept our diagnoses, then you might just need to get re-diagnosed there for certain things, but it probably won't be a problem. Um, so that's what I know from my own research. But what else can you tell us about like, you know, I think healthcare was one of the things that you said was a potential barrier, but maybe something to also not be super concerned with? No, of course. Yeah. And I think that last part you said about what your doctor said is correct. Um, probably, you know, day one or day two of landing in a new city, you just you would just look up English speaking general practitioners in you know, Playa del Carmen, you know, wherever you are and find one and go tell them what you need. And they won't they barely even ask you questions. They're like, OK, here's your prescription. And then you have that guy you can always go back to. But those prescriptions last a very long time. And yeah, everything they have in the States and Canada, they have in Latin America, too. Maybe not, you know, a place like Nicaragua. But again, you know, you kind of kind of eliminate places like that. But everything is very developed. They have everything that we have in the States. And it's all a lot cheaper. Like you might not even need health insurance. I don't have health insurance. Um, I just have cash. And you can do anything you want with cash. Like in, when I was in Mexico City, um, I did have to go see a doctor. Wasn't for anything big, but just something I wanted to take care of. And <clears throat> I looked up some of these private hospitals that are really good for expats. And so I went there and there were still a bunch of locals, a huge line out the door. But they all had insurance. Now, just like in the United States, doctors hate 
dealing with insurance. So I went up to the front and I told them I had cash and I got to walk past everybody and like all 40 people. And like these people could have been like had cancer or something like that. And me for my little problem, I'm walking right by them to the front of the line, do five minutes worth of paperwork. I go in, I talk to an English speaking doctor because they all studied in the States. And he spent like a half hour with me. It was weird. Like all these other doctors, they have to overbook because the, the, the overhead is just so incredible out there. But this guy just sat there and just talked with me for like a half hour about everything. We got a bunch of stuff done. I got a couple prescriptions and I was out of there. And it was like 80 bucks cash. <laughs> I was I had no idea what to expect, but I was blown away. I thought it was going to be cheap, but I didn't know. I didn't know I was going to get that kind of quality on top of it. And he even said, hey. Come back for free. I want to. I want to check on you when it's all said and done. And this was for something pretty minor, at the end of the day. So I was like, okay, I am not used to this at all. This is great. Maybe for your average person there that's poor and needs insurance and stuff like that, it's really not great. But I hate to say it for the rest of us that can just come in there with some cash and jump the line and get crazy good care. I'm like I'm like three for three on this, Jay. I'm, I'm blown away by the care in Mexico, Panama, and Colombia. All three. Well, you think about, you know, insurance companies and if they take a cut, it's like maybe nicer for, you know, a hospital or a emergency care place to get cash directly from their clients. Um, less of a hassle too. Maybe there's even some, you know, ability to, <laughs> I don't know what they do, if they take cash, like it's under the table and just let it, you know, uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, it's kind of interesting for anybody that would want to re research this. This would be cool if you want to let us know. I think a cool thing to understand would be how many people pay for more insurance in their lives than they do if all of their things costed them the cost it would when they need to repair or get them. Because I think insurance is this arbitrage where you kind of fear an outcome that could happen and you're paying you know, monthly to prevent the full totality of what that would cost you in a society um from hitting you all at once and i think that's an interesting you know thing because maybe people are paying more for insurance throughout their entire lives than they actually would be if they just you know took took a took the dice and rolled them as they may you, you think know. no yeah i tell people there's a reason why a lot of baseball and football stadiums are named after insurance companies because they do nothing but print money you know you, you end up paying all this for insurance and you probably use about 10% of it just on the fear that if something really bad happens to you, you would actually have it covered. Um, yeah, and, and now when you come down to United States, to, I mean, I'm sorry, when you come down to Latin America, if you have prescription drugs, for example, you might pay a little more than your actual copay would be, but you got to do the math. If you're not paying for health insurance at all, you know, whether it's coming out of your paycheck or you pay up front, factor that cost in. And you're going to be paying a lot less. Honestly, if I were to have a heart attack and go to a hospital, I, I could just pay cash. Like I've saved so much money just by living here and I've stockpiled it that it's there if I need it. I don't need to mess with health insurance. Now, they do have health insurance plans for expats out there. So if you still want it or if you have a certain need or if your child has a certain need, it is there. I've just I've I'm, it's like I'm getting away with murder by not only not spending money on health insurance, but knowing that if anything ever did happen to me, cash carries so well out here that I would have no problem not only getting really good care, but getting it really fast 
on top of that. So that really those two things, healthcare and safety, I think are two things that are so, so way overblown. And you don't realize just how overblown they are until you actually get here. It's it's one of those really illuminating things you learn, <laughs> but you don't learn it in, in, unless you, you're actually here. No, yeah, I could totally see that being true, uh, especially after talking to my doctor and seeing that like people have moved from where I'm from to places like this. And that's how the process usually goes. Uh, I think another, so the banking, do U.S. bank accounts work in these places? Is that another kind of uh, fear? I could see people thinking that could be squashed here or is there need to get a new banking account? Uh, what is your philosophy or principles around that? No, the banking end of it's a really good question because sometimes people don't think about this. Um, now, for starters, all of my cards, um, I have cards from you know different countries and crypto.com card too. All that stuff works um, in, in almost every country now. They uh, Gone are the days where you have to call your bank and be like, yeah, I'm going to be here, here, and here. Um, yeah, thankfully, you don't have to do that much anymore. Um, so cards are going to work. Now, you might incur some some fees here and there when you use them, and if you don't want to do that anymore, uh, getting a local bank account is an option, but it's sometimes difficult. You know, you'd have to be a resident first. Sometimes they make you have like a local phone number and this and that, but there are easy ways to get away from that. Um, first off, TransferWise, they rebranded to Wise. I call it TransferWise still. Um, they're amazing. Really easy to get really easy to load up and it's good for like every country no matter where you are you can transfer money from you know your native currency into the currency of wherever you are and it's super cheap and you can just use that to pay bills and stuff like that and transferwise will even give you um your own uh, i think it's a visa card and you can use that just like anywhere else anywhere you want so let me just cut you off there because i may be mishearing it but are you saying transfer wires or is this a term that maybe uh would be good to define real quick no, I'm sorry if I'm not saying it clearly. Transfer Wise. Um, it's called Wise now, W-I-S-E. Um, it's an app. It? It, it's a it, it's a phone app. And they like I've used it for a while because I like to hold other currencies just as a hedge. And so I can hold currencies all over the world and they're backed by major banks. And it all goes through this fintech app called Wise. And so if you're just traveling, you can switch money from USD over to maybe euros if you're in Europe, boom, just like that. And if you have the card, you can just spend that way and you won't get hit on any kind of fees at any point in time. The only fees you pay is that initial super low Forex transfer from USD to euros. And so a lot of people in Mexico, for example, where I'm at right now, they have it um, just to pay bills. Um, but sometimes they'll get the card and you can just use the card everywhere too and just use it like a prepaid card and never get dinged on fees. And uh, even if that's not your cup of tea, every Latin American country now has at least three or four different fintech solutions to where it's an actual bank as well. It just does very limited things. Like you can, like I said, you can pay bills, you, they will give you a card, you can get money out of the ATM without getting crushed on fees and stuff like that. And you can just get by that way. I have one for Mexico called Cuenca. It's uh, C-U-E-N-C-A. I have my own card. I can use it wherever I want. I just got to load it up. And uh, you know, the fees really aren't bad, but there's no need to pay them if you don't want to. And that's just how you get around it. And I just go to the phone app. I transfer money into it. I pay out of it. Super simple. But I also have TransferWise too. That That's great. It's just when you're traveling like this or if you're relocating, 
apps like that are really important because it's just one less thing you have to worry about. Um, because sometimes, you know, there's been a couple of times in Colombia where I had a few cards that didn't work in ATMs and it was a bit of a crunch there. But uh, if you just have, if you just have wise transfer wise, you are covered no matter where you go. And then from there, it's just a matter of uh, finding solution, more, more country specific solutions, because getting an actual local bank account, especially if you're not a resident can be tough, but thankfully over the years, there's been very easy solutions to that. Yeah, that's really interesting. And then the other thing that I think we wanted to touch on too was uh, as a barrier for some people. And, I, you know, it's, I don't even see this as a barrier because I imagine so many people probably speak English, but is there a language barrier? And I think the top two recommendations from the way that I kind of understood it was either Colombia or Mexico, um, you know, because there is a lot going on in El Salvador, maybe uh, Nicaragua, is, I always have a tough time with my slight Boston kind of East Coast accent pronouncing that one. But um, it is interesting, you know, saying that that might be a good place to look down the road in. But and then you have, you know, Costa Rica was like a little bit of a cool thing for a moment decades ago. But now it's kind of, you know, lacked its real luster and then panama does have a similar cost to some of the maybe higher cost of living places in the u.s so with colombia and mexico as like the first kind of starting points maybe in latin america to really position yourself if you're somebody in a situation like i am for instance um what's the language barrier like in those two places all depends on where you go um, if you're going to be in a resort town, obviously, there are going to be a lot of people that speak English there. Um, your your larger cities will typically do it more. Now, the thing in some of the larger cities is you know, these people love their country. They go to school so they can get a job in their country. You know, they don't have these big dreams of going to the United States. Those are usually just the ones, you know, the, the, it's kind of arrogant the way they say it, but they, they almost say like, yeah, we we give you guys our rejects. We give you guys the people that can't make it in our country. You know, as far as we go... We don't really need to speak English because we're not going over there. We might travel there, but you know we're we're really good where we're at, and we're and we're having a good life here. So um, you will find a surprising amount of cities to where they don't speak fluent English, but they usually speak enough. They all listen to our music and watch our movies. Like I've talked to some people your age that speak really good English. I'm like, your English is really good. Where'd you learn? And they're like, oh, I learned by playing Call of Duty. You know, like yeah. the, the American the American influences. Yeah. It's become yeah. pretty widespread for sure. The American influence and just like globalization, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. In Mexico is as much as they love their Mexican music. Um, they, I would say I probably hear American and UK music more, you know, the influence is there. So my point is that even if your Spanish is really weak, which by the way, if you learn Spanish, you have just unlocked the door to like 40 different countries that you can live or travel to. And if you if you can't be bothered to do that, then you're probably not going to be bothered to do anything. So I don't, again, I'm not really talking to those people, but with even just a little bit of Spanish, if you just, honestly, probably on a, on a given basis, I probably say the, the same 10 phrases and have the same 10 phrases spoken back to me almost every day. So if you can just learn the really basic stuff, learn how to order food, learn directions, um, and just learn the basic everyday polite words, which would really probably take you a week. And by a week, I mean like spend maybe a half hour a day. Like you can get by. 
And if there's ever a conflict, you know, language-wise, people are really nice out here. You know, they'll try to meet you halfway. They'll try to use the English they do have. They'll pantomime. Or worst case scenario, everybody has Google Translate. You know, sometimes I have to go ask somebody something kind of complicated to where I don't know the Spanish behind it. I'll just say it into Google Translate and just show it to them and say, you know, lo siento, mi español es terrible, you know, sorry, my Spanish is terrible. And they'll laugh and they'll get it. And then they'll help you with what you have. It's not a barrier at all. It might be a barrier if you want to hang out with locals. And maybe sometimes in dating, it might be tough if the person you're trying to talk to doesn't really speak a lot of English, but that's literally it. And your Spanish will get a lot better just by being here. Like I live in Latin America and I'm also taking Spanish lessons. So my Spanish is already getting a lot, lot better to where I speak it pretty well. I don't always understand it too well when it's spoken back to me because people talk fast, but I'm getting there. And um, that is such a luxury to have. I don't know why people wouldn't just do that anyway, but you don't have to know much just to get started. If you just know some basic stuff when you come here, you will be just fine. But the more you learn, the better time you will have. That is true. And I think the other thing that comes to mind as potential, you know, just thing to think about in advance is what's your kind of principles or philosophy around travel? Like it, it seems like you live a nomadic life. So could you go to one of these places and not own a car? And still just maybe get around through Ubers and Lyfts if you wanted to or walk. Um, what's your kind of philosophy and opinion on those kinds of things? So as soon as I left the United States, I got rid of my car. I sold it off to some junkyard and I never had a car ever again. Um, which seems absurd to a lot of Americans because you no, need no, it. It actually doesn't to me, but yeah, keep going. Mm -hmm. Sorry. That, that makes sense though, personally. Yeah. Well, you're a little bit closer to a big city. A lot of places away from the east coast you have to have a car just to get anywhere because everything's so far away and public transportation is almost non-existent um again it's crazy to say because ubers are like so expensive right now but <laughs> uber and they have Didi out here between those two you can go just about anywhere you want from anywhere from like two to five dollars it's bananas i tip the crap out of these uber drivers because one it's cheap and two i'm like we need to keep these people on the road because I can get such a cheap ride to my door in usually under five minutes because there's so many of them out there. It's tremendous. And the subways out here are generally pretty nice. Um, even the buses, like pe like normal people take buses. You know, back in the States, if you take a bus, you know, you're, you're playing with your safety sometimes, depending on where you are. Out here, it's totally normal. It's so easy to get around that you don't need a car. And really in Latin America, the rules are the same, <clears throat> but they're a little bit, I don't know, loosely enforced, I guess you could say, as far as uh, driving rules. So I really wouldn't even want to drive out here. Uh, now, you might want to go out to the countryside someday or something like that. You know, there, there's options to rent cars and have private drivers and things like that that are also very cheap for those rare times you want to go do something like that. But as far as transportation goes, not only do I, I, I tell people, I'm like, I don't drive, I get driven. It's amazing. You know, it's like, I, I, again, I feel like a king and it's so cheap. That is one of the things you will absolutely spend money on and you will not miss having a car at all. At least I don't. It seems to me like uh, Uber is such a interesting innovation because it's created this like, you know, thing that 
we've sort of relied on governments to create, which is like public transport at our at our whim in densely populated places. But it's it's almost decentralized that framework. So any one of us can be part of that system as long as that system's getting compensated. So I admire the uh, kind of you know extra motivation to pay the drivers a tip to support that system that's kind of supporting you. I think I would probably do the same thing. Uh, I just wanted to highlight that because I thought it was an interesting um, thing to think about. But nonetheless, why don't we move into uh, Mexican residency? Because this was an interesting thing where it, I think you said that you need approximately $30,000 in your bank, but many people move down anyways and achieve that fast. That was probably the most interesting point to me. Because I, I wanted to understand more what you meant by that. If you if somebody is listening to this and they have $30,000 in their bank account, they can um, kind of prove that. And at what step do they have to prove that? And for people that maybe don't have $30,000, let us say, right? It would be interesting to explore what you mean by when they move down, uh, people can achieve that pretty fast. Um, what's kind of going on there to make this a reality? Because we 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 definitely don't just want to allure people in with the dangling of the hey, you could have a way better life right now if you just like got up and moved without giving them some kind of content and, and steps on how this process maybe actually works and what you need. Yeah. So for context, you know, you can become a resident in, in a lot of countries all over the world and work your way towards citizenship, which would be, you know, a passport. But it takes a really long time. And it's always very expensive. Like you either have to invest, you know, six figures, you have to buy real estate, you know, you have to, you know, start a business of a certain size that employs locals, there's a lot of really like stuff that most people aren't just going to be able to do, right. Um, but there's always been cheaper options. The problem is, they have gone away over time. There's a real urgency now. So for context, I have permanent residence in Panama. It used to cost, if you were a part of the friendly nations, which is most Western countries, all in, it probably cost you about 15,000, 20,000. You know, it's a big chunk of change, but for the, the advantages it gives you, I was willing to do it. Uh, two months after I finished, that program went from, you know, 15,000, 20,000 up to 200,000. Now, Panama is a small country. They went from 3 million people to 4 million people really fast. And they're like, okay, we need to chill out and stop this. <laughs> so that went away. Paraguay was another one that was really cheap. You did have to live there a little while. That's the reason I didn't do it. But that was one of the last cheap ones available. And now it's not cheap anymore. That one went way up too. These things are good until they're not. And then they're gone. And they never come back. The last, really, the last one remaining that is cheap and easy is Mexico. All right. So the... Now, the requirements are going to depend on what consulate you go through in the States and what who your lawyer is. Always get a lawyer. And uh, we'll go over later ways you can kind of find one. But don't try to do this on your own. You know, pay a lawyer. I've paid my lawyer probably a total of $800 for my temporary residence that I have here in Mexico. And I've already renewed it one time. It's it's super cheap, right? But uh, is that lawyer, by the way, based in um, in Mexico? Is that like what you kind of look for? You look for a lawyer based in the place that you're going to? Yeah, and I had no help really, no frame of reference when I was doing it. So I was kind of all over the place. And um, it turned out my lawyer was in Mexico City. So that's where I stayed for a while and got all that done. 
And then I started traveling a little more after that. So you're going to find a lawyer and they're going to be in a certain city. And that's going to probably be the city you want to start off in. Um, you don't want to have to travel to your lawyer because you don't know how many times you might have to go there. You know, if you know they, they might need a document that they forgot or you forgot, you know, you're going to want to start in wherever your lawyer is located. But the good thing is they're probably located in a big city, which is also where you want to start. Now, if you want to end up in the middle of nowhere on a tiny beach town, that's fine. You can do that. But you're going to need to start off in a city, which I kind of recommend because it's a good place to get your feet wet and get to know things. And, you know, things are convenient and right in front of you. You don't have to go too far to get them. So so that's all fine. But, yeah, you're going to have a lawyer. and um, But there will be requirements, too, like you said. They don't just take anybody. The United States takes anybody. No, you, you know, you, you crawled across the border. You have no money here. Here's free health care, which, you know, from a humanitarian perspective is nice. But other countries see that and they're like, yeah, screw that. We don't want that problem. So you have to at least show that you're not going to be a drain on their system. And the only way they can really know that without knowing you is by income. So I think it's it's like 30, 36,000. I'm not sure where the minimum cutoff is for temporary residency. They used to have a program for like over a hundred grand, you could get permanent residency, but that's gone. You always have to start temporary. And then you renew that year by year for four years. And then, then you get a permanent residency. And I think if you have a good lawyer, one year after that, you can go straight towards the citizenship test for an actual passport, which is bananas to not only get citizenship that quick and that cheaply, but for a country like Mexico and not some like far-flung banana republic or a little tiny European country you're never going to want to go to, a place like Mexico that has everything, that is just such a combination of things. And I'm not sure how much longer it's going to be this way. So unlike before, there really is an urgency now because after this, there is literally no other option. And unless you have a lot of money, you're going to be stuck where you are. Um, now, what you were saying before, Jay. Um, I've seen people that come down here because as soon as you jump over the, the United States border, you have six months visa, uh, you, have, you have a six month visa to stay in Mexico. And then all you have to do is go back to the States after six months for a day, jump right back over and you get another six months. It's super, super friendly. So what a lot of people do is oh, they'll move uh, down. No. So people, if they haven't started the process with their lawyer yet, let's say, but they go and get a visa they start to taste some of these places. Um, they can always just renew their visa by coming back to the U.S. And then, you know, if they wanted to save up some income to prove that they're not going to drain the system as a resident, they can take that progressional step. It's yeah, everybody's going to have to take that step first because you are going to have to be here for a little while. It's really not long. I just don't know how much. You can't just come here and say, "Hi, I'm from Boston. I would like Mexican residency." It doesn't quite work that way. They want to know you're actually <laughs> going to you're actually going to be here a little bit. Um, but unlike some places where you have to be there half the year, there's really the requirements on how long you have to actually have to stay there are very very kind. I just don't know them, and I know they've changed, and sometimes it depends on the lawyer. So I'm not going to say them here. But you don't have to spend a whole lot of time here, but you will need to come down here for a little bit, get your feet wet, and then meet with a lawyer. And if you don't have the money, I've known people that have come down here with like, you know, 12 grand in the bank, but they stay at an Airbnb or someplace like that. And within about a year, year and a half, they have the money in the bank account that these places are looking for because they will ask for bank statements. You know, you have to prove it. So, um, so there's more, more than, more than. More than one way to do this. Like just because you don't get residency right away doesn't mean you can't just come down here and live here. Actually, the majority of people I know don't even have residency cards yet. 
they're just here because this is where they want to be. Yeah, that's super helpful. I think the other thing that was going through uh, my mind while you were speaking was like, okay, let's say somebody goes down for six months and like, where, where are they staying? Are they, are they getting a lease somewhere? Are they getting a Airbnb for six months? Is there like hotels? Like what's your kind of philosophy or principles around like that as well? You can play this however you want. You know, if, if you really want to skimp on money, you can go to kind of the outskirts of town that might be perceived as a bit more dangerous and probably not as nice, but they're so, like stupid, stupid cheap. I know a lot of people live out there and, and just love it. You can go to, uh, once you get outside of the major cities in Mexico, so that's going to be Mexico City, Guadalajara, Monterrey, everything gets uh, like exponentially cheaper anyway, uh, like laughably cheap. So some people will do that. I think what most people do is they just, because they don't have to meet with a lawyer yet or anything like that, they just go wherever they want. Like if you want big cities, we have them. You know, if you want beach towns, you can do that. If you want to be in the middle of nowhere and be around nature, you can do that. It's, you can go wherever you want and live that life that you and your head feel like is going to be best for you and kind of see what that's like. And for the most part, unless you're like a big city guy, like I am, um, it's going to be even cheaper than it would normally be. So yeah, you could, you could even stay in hotels and get all the service a hotel would give you. Some people prefer that over Airbnbs because sometimes people with Airbnbs, they have these obscene cleaning fees and stuff like that. And it's still going to be cheap, but you just look at it and you're like, you know, why, you know, it's so stupid. I'll just go to a hotel and just get you know, maid service and a pool and, you know, everything for a pretty cheap price too. You can play it any way you want, but those are the two most common ways. And, um, I think once you kind of run a search and take a look, you would be su just surprised at just how cheap that is. You're probably going to have to overpay a little bit. The cheapest way to go is always to get an apartment, but you just can't do that yet. So I was always cool with over slightly overpaying for things when I first came down, knowing that it was going to be temporary and it was going to, it was going to get even cheaper, you know, once I got established and that's what happened. Yeah, I could see that, that making a lot of sense. Just wanting to overpay to make sure that you're in a pretty good spot for whatever you're doing, but you can always learn, you know, how to reduce your costs. And, and if you want to kind of skimp out, I like that terminology, um, to, you know, reap the benefits of living in a place where costs are much cheaper as quickly as possible, then you could, you could downgrade or you could figure out where the arbitrage is for what services you're getting now, but you know, make them more affordable. Um, so that's interesting, man. That's, that's a really interesting way to look at it. So there's a surplus of Airbnbs in Mexico city. It seems like there is, it's a seasonal, is it a seasonal kind of city? Is there kind of like a bit of an uptick? Is there any major trends like that that you're aware of? Or does it almost not matter because the costs of living in any of these places won't go up extraordinarily any part of the year? No, resort towns are going to be seasonal. Everything else is going to be just like anything else. Uh, the, the weather in Mexico City is pretty consistent. They call it the land of the eternal spring because it's, it's, it's kind of light jacket weather all the time. Um, in the summertime, the three months in the summertime in almost all of Latin America, it is going to rain a lot more, but that's the only real difference. You know, it's, temperatures are remarkably consistent across the board. 
Um, so yeah, you don't have a whole lot of seasonality out here really at all. So it's not like you can come off season and live cheaper. Maybe if you're going to go someplace like Cancun or Puerto Vallarta, which are, you know, probably the most expensive places you could possibly pick anyway, maybe you're going to see that seasonality, but for most places, no, it really doesn't matter when you come down. That's interesting. So you need to, to get, uh, (laughs) The easiest way to start then would just to be to go to probably Mexico City or Colombia, I guess, for, you know, six months almost. And then just like then just get a lawyer from there and then just prove out your income that way. I feel like that would be the the least cheap way of doing things is to is there like a do you know if there's a process to get your visa or is it if you're in the U.S., I guess you'd be able to just go right. You don't even need to apply for a visa, a six months visa, um, like you would if you need to go to Russia or something of, of that nature? Yeah, no, it's visa free pretty much all throughout Latin America. Um, I can't remember what it was. There was one or two places I actually had to get a visa. I can't remember if it was even here in Latin America, or if it was in Europe, but you can just look at these things ahead of time. Sometimes it's three months, sometimes it's six months, um, but they all change. So just do a little bit of research before you go, obviously. And then just play it that way. Um, I think the best thing to do really is get into some of these groups. You know, there's groups where people like thousands of people who already live here um, in all sorts of different countries. And and this would go for Europe and Southeast Asia too. And just ask them, say, hey, I'm looking to go here. What do I have to know? What are the visa requirements? You know, where should I stay? Where should I not stay? You know, things like that. I didn't have a whole lot of this information in front of me when I first did it. I kind of flew without a net, but that's that's always how I like to do it. But I know a lot of people are a lot more cautious. And so, you know, having that knowledge ahead of time is big. And um, I have some options for places too, if, if you want to go over that. Yeah, let's definitely go over that. And then another thing too that I was thinking would be fun to cover is kind of like <clears throat> looking at Mexico City, uh, it's interesting thinking you know, of some of the lifestyles that people could have. And and maybe it's not just Mexico City, but I'd also want to explore a little bit further. uh, Just kind of like what the light, what the potential lifestyle is, since there's so many people that probably move to these places and they come from a extremely, uh, not like I want to say conservative, but just you know, you're, you're doing whatever you can to pay the bills, you know? So when you move from that to some surplus in your life, it's like, what do you fill your life with? And what kind of communities are there that you can uh, participate in? What kinds of activities are there that you can kind of, you know, join or clubs that you can kind of, you know, join and be part of those kinds of things. I'm also interested in since, you know, you're sort of in a line of work VP that I'm also in. So I'd be curious on what you do to fill the time. And uh, obviously dating is probably part of that, but there's, there's probably other things. Like for me, I'd love to be by the water, you know, just cause like, I love uh, any kind of just like swimming or just like going to the beach for a bit and crushing a podcast but where, where I am now, there's only a few months of the year that that can happen. So it's very interesting moving to a place where that can happen every day would also be super desirable. So those kinds of things would be fun to get into. Uh, whatever you think we should get into first would be 
uh, would be fine. We can flush everything out though. For sure. Yeah. I, mean, I could talk about this for a while, so I can only really speak for personal experience, but so I'm more of a city person because I think because of what you and I do, we're busy, but I wouldn't say what we do is very stressful. Right. So to where a lot of people think is like, oh man, I'm going to go to a beach town and live right on the beach and just relax all the time. That's incredibly boring to me. I told you I was in Mazatlan and I committed two months there. And, and by day three, I was like, oh shit, I'm so bored. <laughs> I've ran out yeah, of stuff no, to do. This is this is what I wanted to hear. Cause I was like, you know, how realistic is it to live in one of these outskirt beach towns knowing that you know, there, there's time, there's time on our hands where we just can't research anymore. We probably can't even create any more content. Maybe we have energy to edit, but that, that creative energy, there's only so much of it every day. I feel like, and you want to make the most of it while it's there, but then you have hours to decompress and you have hours to do maybe other things. So it's like, where is a situation that is lively for the, you know, later 20 and 30 year olds, uh, around that would be interesting. So the city, yeah, keep going, BP. So yeah, as an alternative, you know, I live in a bigger city, and if I ever want to go to a beach, I take literally a forty-dollar flight because if you're going within these countries, like there's really no unless you book at the last minute, there's nowhere you can go within Mexico that's going to cost more than a hundred dollars. In Colombia, you're talking about probably no more than fifty dollars. It's ridiculous. You can get a you can get a flight from major city to city for like thirty five dollars, and for an extra five dollars, you can get seat one A at the very front. It's ridiculous. Oh so, yeah. That's so, so I just I just live I, I just live where all the stuff is, and where all the action is, and where all the people are, and where all the convenience is. And if I want to go to a beach, well, then I plop down forty bucks and however much my hotel is going to cost, and I go there. Because you know, growing up, if we ever went to the beach, and I grew up in the Midwest, you know, we didn't go to the beach a whole lot, but when we did, it was like a special thing, and it was awesome. And when you live there, all that awesomeness and excitement just kind of goes away to me. So I like being able to have that special moment if I really want to say, okay, I'm just going to go screw off on a beach for a few days. You know, here, here's 40 bucks. See you later. You get to do that here. You know, if I were to do that from the Midwest up to, you know, California or someplace on the Atlantic coast, it would be a much bigger undertaking, but here I can just snap my fingers and do it. You know, when you work remotely and live remotely, you can just be remote as much as you want. But for me personally, I'm I'm that alpha brain to where as soon as I wake up in the morning, I'm like, all right, let's get after it. You know, that slow lifestyle of a beach town just isn't it for me. But for some people it is. You know, I totally get it. And being out in the middle of nature, you know, if you just want to hippie out and do all that, I get that too. Uh, but you can do all of it. It's 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 all here, just like it is in the West. So if we take the idea of going full-time in the outskirts because it seems like mexico city is pretty much if i remember correctly dead in the center um but it's more south it's like southern like i guess if you took mexico it's like more of the southern part of mexico maybe and bit. yeah a little bit it's not quite all the way down there but it's like a little bit more than midway if i remember correctly these uh so it's dead plop in the center now, if if we think about what are some of the activities in something like Mexico City that can, you know, create a little bit of a community slash routine for like that you found 
uh, interesting or successful. And we don't have to go into all your yeah. hobbies and whatnot. But what what do you what are you really glad that you found that made it feel more like more like home, like more like wow, I can actually work here and also have a life. So I in any place you go, especially a place like Mexico City, which is big, it's it has a very New York feel to it. And so that does draw a lot of people from outside uh, of Mexico. So there's expat communities everywhere. And it really comes down to neighborhoods. And if you just ask around a little bit, you'll know exactly where those neighborhoods are if you want to be around a lot of expats. I personally don't. If I'm going to be in Mexico, I want to be in Mexico with Mexican people around me because that, you know, why move to a place where uh, there's just a bunch of people who look like me? You know, that's kind of defeats the purpose in my mind. But for a lot of people, they would rather have that community there where you can exchange ideas and have an instant friend base. And it's super easy to do if they're already there. You just go to the bars and restaurants where they go, open your mouth and meet some of these people. And that, you know they're happy to see you too because the expat community is only so big. So any any more people you add to that community, you know they're going to be very welcoming, which is really great. I live a bit farther away from where those communities are, but I can easily go there and make friends and even though I haven't really done that where I'm at right now, I, I've still, you know, I got a few girls that I talk to and I got a couple guys. It's funny. They're like, we always joke, like they're the only two Jamaican people in this entire city and they just happen to be my only two friends. But, but you know, I got, I got a little, I haven't been here very long, but I already got a little like friend base that I can go out and we can go do stuff. And I didn't even try for that. What's really great is with all the online communities now is you can just say, hey, I am in Merida, uh, Mexico. Who else is here? And like 10 people pop and say, hey, I'm here. You know, hey, we every Friday we go meet here. Come join us. And boom, you're right there. So, you know, I don't, I'm a little older. I don't have a desire to have a ton of friends in the city I'm in. You know, I, I could I could just have maybe two or three myself, but it's such a luxury to have. You could play I it anyway. I totally understand. I don't know if that's an older thing or just a mindset, but yeah, I'm I'm comfortable with just like a few friends, man. I totally yeah. agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty good. We could maybe do with maybe one or two more, you know, just to mix it up a little bit, but that's really it. And so every place you go is going to have expats. It's going to have locals. It's just a matter if you can easily talk to those locals or not. Sometimes I make local friends too, which is awesome. Um, ultimately, that's what I would like to have is kind of more of those. But my Spanish maybe just isn't quite there yet. It will be. Um, but for now, yeah, making friends is pretty easy if you just put out like a tiny bit of effort. And especially you can do that online now and just have instant friend base almost ready made for you by the time you arrive in that city. It's uh, it's crazy. Yeah, no, no, that's that's so important to know. So like, I think it comes down to what kind of person is listening to this podcast a little bit because I've traveled quite a few places, you know, I've been to, I've been, I've been all over Europe. I've been to Russia. Um, I've also traveled a lot in the U S and I've been to Hawaii and uh, you know, it's interesting because I think if you are the type of person that has developed the skills to, to make friends, you can, you can do that and you can find communities, but I think it's more uh, of like a skill set that, maybe somebody listening needs to develop uh, if they've never gone to a new place and figured out the lay of the land, or it's something that the person listening probably already has. And it's just about, you know, using that skill set, which is probably a healthy thing for us to do. 
you know, it's probably healthy to try to find new experiences, make new connections. So I think that's part of the excitement of moving somewhere new and, and, and kind of starting fresh is like you get to re-experience uh, kind of building who you are by communicating with these new strangers that maybe you make as friends or new communities that you find that align with you. Let's just put it this way, man. I was in what is perceived to be the most exciting city in the world in Las Vegas for 15 years. And after that, probably first three or four years after the novelty had kind of worn off and I've kind of been there and done everything, I was pretty much miserable for the rest of that time. Because even though I was in this really fun, exciting place with, you know, beautiful people and all this stuff to do, and I was making okay money, you know, I, I'd kind of done it. And it just kind of becomes the same hamster wheel after a while. And even when you're making money, you're still not making enough. And it's just like, you know what? I want to see more. I could not imagine a life without adventure and wonder and discovery and financial security on top of it all. And it just took me getting over some really kind of stupid mental barriers in my head to get there, you know, and, and now I get all these advantages. We haven't really talked about the tax advantages yet, and we really shouldn't because it's, it's so unique to everybody. But once you get residency, you can establish a business and you don't even have to like hire local people. You can just take the business you have and just run it through the foreign business and it's completely legal and you save a bunch of money and that's what I'm doing now. And you get a bank and it's, you know, it just, everything compounds on itself and it's just so exciting and so fun. And, uh, I, 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 I almost feel dumb for wasting away, you know, a good nine or 10 years there in what, like I said, what people thought would be a really exciting place, but it's, it's so different once you get out of that comfort zone and come somewhere else and you realize that there's nothing to be afraid of in the first place. Uh, I, I mean, if I haven't said enough about it in this interview, it's uh, you just have to experience it. And again, you can get your residency card and say, screw this place and go back to the States, go back to Canada, go back to Europe, go back to wherever you want to go and still have not only the card, but the option to come back. Remember during COVID, a lot of people said, okay, nobody can come into our country unless you're a citizen or a foreign national. And that's what they mean by having that by residency card, a foreign national, because they have a lot of people who, you know, do specialist jobs and own companies, you know, in, in that country, and they don't want to kick you out. So you're always welcome. And, you know, you can buy land, you can buy a home, you can buy a car, you can do everything once you get that card. And in Mexico in particular, you don't even have to be here that much. So there really is no risk at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, if, if anybody's even just remotely thinking about it, just take that step. And if it's the wrong step for you, then just go back. At least now, you know, you'll never have that, you know, sinking feeling in your head of wondering what if. Yeah. And I think that's my takeaway too, from, you know, most of this interview, it's, it's kind of like, you can dip your toes in at the extent that you want. And maybe it's not going for full residency at first, but maybe it's just a two month work workation, whatever they're calling it these days, where you just go into this new environment for two months, for three months, and you just try to uh, take a little bit of a, of a closer step. And then maybe you come back and take a bigger step for six months. So I, I don't know, man, it's really interesting because there, there is, I don't know, maybe it's, it's the country, 
thing because you said that you see you wish that you almost didn't stay in Las Vegas as long as you did. Maybe it's just moving to a different country and the thought of that that is ingrained in um you know I'm from the US so maybe just in people's heads that are from the US when there's clearly so many awesome options out there as as I'm starting to find in uh in this journey and yeah it does not make sense to not go for a couple months and just experience it and see if it's real and if it's true it's it's just doesn't make any sense not to do that it's crazy but that resistance I think comes from maybe it just being a whole new country I don't know. It's it's kind of weird that you felt because I feel that too. It's like similar to how I'm kind of feeling. So it was just interesting that you said that. Yeah. And we'll just now it's that whole urgency thing. These programs are going away because too many people are utilizing them. And really, as far as cheap and easy, there's only one left. And it just happens to be like one of the most amazing countries out there that's pretty close by and easy to get to. So if people don't take action now and it goes away, then you know it's still a wonderful place to live. You just won't have a lot of those advantages. And, and again, you're 24. If you were just to come down here and get it, you would have another option for the rest of your life. I have two, and it's amazing. You know, if any kind of pandemic or any kind of crazy thing were to happen, I have options where most people don't. Um, so it's it, it's just that peace of mind on top of everything else, right? Um, but yeah, the financial security and being able to live cheaper and save money and do what you want with it really, no matter where you are, makes everything better. You know, those first years in Vegas, I was making a lot more money than I could have, could have ever imagined. And then it kind of slowed down a little bit and it got really inconsistent and I would have a really good week, but the very next week I wouldn't get any shifts. So it was like, you know, there was also that. But I'm just the type of person that I want to go different places. And if you just have a jumping off point in Latin America, no matter where that is, it's so cheap to go all these other places too, that you'll never run out of adventure and excitement. And the more you learn Spanish, the more you'll be able to easily kind of slip into those places at the same time. And I've experienced that too. And it's been great. And, you know, they'll look at people like us and, and they'll kind of grade us on a curve. If we don't know a whole lot of Spanish, you know, that's fine. They're okay with that. At least we're trying and they're super happy with it. And there's nothing to worry about on that front either. You know, we always, we kind of grew up thinking Mexico was like, you know, all dirt roads and chickens running around and stuff like that. It's the total opposite. I'm sure there's some places where that still goes on. But once you fly over the border in those northern states, it becomes a completely different Mexico and a completely different experience. And then once you go further into Latin America, you see all these other vibes too. Um, so it's so much to explore with just really little effort up front, in my opinion, uh, once you get past those barriers. What is the uh, time frame of residency in Mexico, for example, going away? Like what, what is that? What is that pressure, that urgency that we're kind of seeing now? And like, what's influencing that? And then what's kind of the timeline? Because like, how much time do people uh, like myself have to actually establish residency? And you know, we've laid out some of the benefits, like if you were to establish a business, there's tons of benefits. Uh, any other benefits too would be interesting. So uh, those those would be some of my sort of later parts of this interview questions is kind of like where the pressure is coming from, where this program is going away or becoming more expensive. What are the benefits that we have now? And and, and kind of, uh, yeah, those, those sort of things, BB. 
I've pretty much spoken ad nauseum about the benefits now. I'm just like been gushing for over an hour now about this stuff. But uh, I, I guess one that I didn't touch on too much was, you know, if you want to buy land or real estate, you're going to have to be a resident here. So it's it's kind of nice. I'm not going to do it right now because I think the market's overinflated, but I have the option of buying land in the US or Mexico or Panama. Pretty great. You know, and I can build a home in any of those places too and just start a life there. Having those options is really great. And for most countries, you're not going to be able to do that, or you're going to have a really hard time doing that if you don't already have residents and already have a bank locally that you can use. So that's the kind of the final one I can think of as far as benefits go. Um, now, in terms of how much longer this program is going to be around for Mexico, I have no idea. It could be around for 10 years for all I know, or it could go away tomorrow. We thought Paraguay was going to be there forever, and it yeah. wasn't. You know, we thought Panama was going to be there. You know, what a great what a great deal that was that just made sense. You know, you know it's, it's the friendly nation's visa. It's really popular, but it got too popular. Um, you know, there's there's some people complaining, and especially in certain neighborhoods in Mexico City, that it's getting way too gringo. You know, so there's a little bit of pushback. It's not like they're mean to you or anything like that, but they're just, for the first time in their history, they're experiencing an influx of foreigners in their cities. So, uh, so you just never know, you know, it's not like it will go away, but it could all, it could just get a lot harder or a lot more expensive down the road. It's only going to go that direction. It's not going to get cheaper and easier. It is as cheap and as, as easy as it's ever going to be right now. And we just don't know for how much longer we have no idea. So if I was you, for example, or somebody who's been thinking about it, I would just do it right away just to have it done. And then you have to worry about that. Yeah, I see. So the evolution has shown us that these programs do get more expensive, maybe lose some benefits and lose some accessibility. So we could expect the same from one of the last remaining, which is Mexico City. Right, because because the big X factor um, is just how expensive the West is getting. It used to be fine, <laughs> you know, ever since probably 2020, Moving on, you know, ever for the first time in a lot of people's lives, you know, things are not on the shelves anymore and things are super expensive and hard to get. And people will put up with so much up until it just starts to really affect them personally. And we're seeing that now. And if you combine that with remote work, you know, it's really becoming a thing now. I don't want to be competing with 100,000 100, other people trying to relocate somewhere else. I want to do it when there's a lot less people in motion. Because if, if we keep going down this path, and you know me, I, I certain there's a lot of reasons to believe that we're going to, there's going to be a bigger exodus. And, um, and I don't want to be in that group. I want to be in the smaller group that's kind of ahead of the game, personally. Yeah, that's what it felt like to me as I started to research Latin America, because I thought about sort of the, you know, economic factors, and how big of a partner um, Mexico tends to be for the US and other places in Latin America and kind of where living costs are I don't I don't know what's going to happen with the real estate market man it's really interesting in the US because you have these you have these leases and I could see so many jobs disappearing over the next decade of the people that work and are able to afford these leases even in big cities. So I'm not really sure where they're going to go, but I could see either that whole economy somehow just collapsing, or maybe there's enough people that are still working and able to afford those leases, but there could be an unstable 
platform where people are living and they just won't have the financial security anymore. So they're going to be like you and maybe uh, my future self where they're going to move to a place that is primed to live a great life, much more affordable. Um, there's just a lot that I could see pushing that exodus, right? Yeah. And it's, but I mean, it really is kind of restricted to people who have the ability to work online like you and I do make money in United States dollars and spend it somewhere else. If you're a factory worker in the States, you're not going to work in a factory in Mexico. You know, <laughs> that'd be the worst thing you could ever do financially. So it's not going to be everybody, but with, as soon as people not only realize they can work remotely, but then start to work remotely, then they, that reality kind of hits them. Oh, wait a minute. I can do this anywhere. I don't have to be here anymore. And, you know, then their imagination starts going a little bit. You know, a lot of these people have family in other countries too, and they would rather be over there. So that's why you're seeing the move out of larger cities. And that's why you're seeing more people move out of the United States and Canada now than you ever have before, whether it's the possibility of remote work or whether it's some of the things they've seen politically that they don't like, you know, every, the, the direction has changed. People used to flock to these countries now it's finally going the other way for the first time since i can ever remember you know in, in my 40 something years it's finally starting to go the other way um so like i said there is a bit of an urgency here again if, if i were to choose any country it would be mexico just because as far as getting that residency it's super duper easy mode and it's the only country like that and it might go away. So I know you were thinking of Colombia. Some people might think Panama is a better option. I would say start with Mexico. Get used to the whole Latin American style and, and processes. Do that. And then from there, decide where you want to go next, if you want to go somewhere next. I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't start with Colombia. Um, wonderful place. Just um, if I wanted to get established residence there, like I don't even know how you would do that. That could be tough. I think Mexico is right now is just this perfect storm of everything for now. Um, like crazy so. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it seems like just another interesting way to start would be taking like a month uh, sort of staycation and workcation to Mexico City and just plopping yourself in the environment for a month and seeing how you fare and then deciding what you want to do for there or like two months or three months. But it could be a small period of time. Uh, I think that's how I would do it. That's probably how I'm going to do it is like go there for like a month, check it out, you know, see see what connections I can make, just kind of scope out what it's like to work there. Maybe search between hotels versus Airbnbs, see that kind of uh, assessment. And maybe that will be something that I can share uh, later on is like, okay, what was the initial cost? That could be a fun little challenge to set in 2023 is just like breaking down what the costs were to travel there for a month, see how it is. And uh, share that because that's the piece that obviously comes from experience in doing it. You get to see what the modern costs are. I wouldn't imagine that it would be, you know, too much more than, you know, four or five grand to do that for a month, right? Like, what do you think? Is there any rough estimates that you could throw out? I mean, would that be more than enough? <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting. It would certainly be more than enough. Yeah. Even though Mexico City is on the, the higher end for sure. In terms of Mexico, it's still Mexico. So even if you get a place, and really, God, you're on the East Coast too. It's going to be a huge difference. If you're from the Midwest, maybe, 
um, you might end up spending about the same as you would for an Airbnb or a hotel or someplace that, that you're, you'd be spending on a mortgage or an apartment. Um, but if you're on the coast, my God, it's going to feel way different. And then it's going to, it's really going to compound once you factor in the food costs and transportation costs too. But if you have to make a lateral move, um, apartment wise, or, you know, shelter wise, probably not a big deal. Like I said, it's going to get better, but you are starting out in one of the most expensive cities in Mexico, but you're right. It is a good place to start. Um, just because everything's here, it's probably easier and uh, I think connectivity is really important too. Um, if you ever have to go somewhere else, I was looking at a place called Boquete in Panama, and uh, I had to take a plane from Panama City to a small town called David, and then I had to take a 45-minute bus ride up the mountains into this city. And I said, okay, screw this. If I have to go anywhere, I'm going to have to repeat this process in reverse just to get back to Panama City. No way. Like I need to be able to go where I want quickly and being in a hub like that really does make all of that easier. So for anybody starting out, even though you might really want a beach life, uh, you, you can get that eventually. But I think I think you're right, Jay. I think Mexico City really is a, a good place to start, even though it's certainly not the cheapest option. Yeah, and I'm just looking up. I'll probably have to edit this in because Man, I am actually pretty surprised. There's some places on Airbnb that you can, you know, find for, and they give you this monthly discount, I guess. But there's a place I'm looking at right now, and uh, it it looks it looks nice enough, you know, where you have a workspace, you have a little uh, kitchen area, but you also have a place where you can. Man, this would be actually better than what I'm in right now for the purpose of making content. And it's like, it's like $1,100 a month. Um, now this is Airbnb. So you have a monthly discount and uh, I plugged in a month's time. Exactly. So it gave me a monthly discount of $576 for this place. So I guess they give you a discount if you're staying a bit longer. Uh, it does look like it may be in some sort of apartment complex. And it also does have a cleaning fee. Um, so that you know, in a service fee, I guess, for maybe utilities and things of that nature. But $1,100 a month is pretty, yeah. it's pretty amazing when you think about it. Yeah. For a place That's like nothing. And, and you and I will uh, off camera talk about neighborhoods too, because um, certain neighborhoods are obviously better than others. They're really, yeah. I'm sure there's a nuance there, right? That would yeah. be good to know. I appreciate that then. Yeah. They're really all safe, but like, I like having, um, Grocery store, convenience store, dry cleaners, restaurants, and things within very easy walking distance. So that that factors in a lot for me. Um, but it's such a walkable city. It's so crazy. Mexico City is like 28 million people. You would think it'd be like those uh, like Manhattan scenes where people are going to work and everybody's just so crowded together. No, if you walk, it's you have all the room in the world. You know, driving sucks, but yeah, it's super duper walkable. So even if you're not right next to those things, as long as you're kind of close, you're pretty good. What I want to do though, Jay, if it's okay, um, if anybody wants to hit the ground running, there is a really nice group that you can join right now to kind of get some more intel before you go. Is it okay if we talk about that? Okay, perfect. Yeah, that would be a good way to probably start wrapping things up too, is like sources of information and groups to kind of like join to really get the ball rolling. That's a great segment to end on probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a simple Google search will probably get you some pretty good places, but something I recommend is uh, one of the guys I follow on Twitter, 
uh, called My Latin Life. I don't I don't know his exact handle, but if you just go to Twitter and type that in, um, he is a Latin American bro, and um, he follows a bunch of other ones too. And you can go follow those guys as well. I, I probably follow about fifteen or twenty of them, and they all give really good intel. They show really cool pictures and stuff like that. And um, he has a podcast that you've actually listened to an episode of his before. And he interviews people from you know all over Latin America that are living and working and doing all this kind of stuff. He also so the, the day we're the date we're shooting this is January eighteenth. For people listening to this in the future. I think a week ago, week and a half ago, he put out a link for a Telegram group to where anybody who's already living in Latin America or who, or who wants to eventually can join. And if you join that group and just say, hey, I'm looking to relocate to San Salvador. Is anybody there? What do I need to know? Who do I need to talk to? You'll probably get four or five people jump in and say, oh, you need to do this, 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 and this. And that's great to have because not only do you get that intel, but you might be able to meet some of those guys once you get there, which is even better. You know, that's such a luxury. That's a luxury I didn't even really have. I, I usually come to these places all by myself. Um, so if you want to go that route, that's the best I can probably give you. Definitely follow that guy on Twitter and check out his podcast if you want to. But if you can go back to where he gave the link to that Telegram group. That is some gold right there because really there's so many people in there right now, almost anywhere you want to go. Like there's people all over Brazil. Yeah, it's it's, it's a great start. And if if they they don't if they don't know the exact answer to, the, to your question, at least they can get it pretty close. And having that advanced intel before you come into a place, especially for the first time, I think is super super helpful. Yeah, man, that's that's honestly a great um, sort of leak. Uh, from somebody who's, you know, been doing this and found useful and unuseful information. And yeah, I did listen to one of those episodes and it really got me into the idea of making this move. Uh, and it's interesting because there's other places too. And maybe those places I do end up staying in the future, like Dubai or like places in the Middle East. Um, I recently went to Dubai and it was just really interesting, you know, getting outside of the states uh, and immersing yourself in more of a corporate environment, I guess I would say, because I was staying with sort of this uh, this company. So I got to meet a lot of people in the company and, and whatnot. But yeah, it really, really, uh, man, seeing all those all those faces that I met who basically journeyed, they're, you know, in their late 20s too, from other countries and just like working in Dubai. It was, it, it was really... I think motivational to take a look at what what's outside. Now, obviously, this Mexico City cheaper than uh, pretty comparable place to live in in Dubai, I would say. But uh, even Dubai's cost did kind of stun me at basically living in the Northeast, where costs of living are quite high, man. But nonetheless, there was a couple other things, I think, besides my Latin life, Telegram and Twitter that you did say. So maybe we can wrap up with those. You said, uh, once again, to repeat, to start in a larger city. And maybe that's where your lawyer is located if you're going to establish residency. And then you said that you can always go back if you don't like it. And I think that's a good message to maybe sort of finish or wind down on. It's like, even if you go to one of these places, you can always go back. So whether it's planning a work vacation 
or, you know, or whether it's just uh, plopping yourself down for six months and establishing that residency, you know, you can always, you can always go back uh, and nothing ventured, there's nothing gained, right? So what other kind of final finals do you have for this podcast, VP, before we just, you know, chat, uh, maybe for the, you know, off camera? about this big move that the J speak YouTube channel is going to make. No, I'm just kidding, but maybe I'm not, you know, <laughs> what are kind of final takes you have, man? I'll just say this really quick. Uh, you're hundred percent, right. Uh, there's almost no risk involved because you can always go back. Uh, from what I've seen though, almost nobody does. <laughs> man. That's interesting. All right. Well, hey, I hope that all of the people that listen to this podcast feel uh, free to share it if you think it could be beneficial with a family member or a loved one, a sibling, or a um, child. Maybe you have a child in their late 20s. You know, I was looking at my audience and everybody's older than me in my audience. It's pretty nuts, actually, but we do have a lot of 40 up people. So, you know, this is just something to think about. The world is changing and the opportunities for young folks especially are changing. So that would be my final final is feel free to share it. And I hope that we brought you some value today. And if you are going to do a journey like this in the near future, I wish you a tremendous amount of luck. I'm sure VP does too. And there's uh, there's some resources that we highlighted to, to go and check out to maybe help along your journey. But um, yeah, that's pretty much it. So I'll pause the recording. VP, thank you so much. And uh, yeah. We will see you next time.